This is Linux Reality, Episode 12, Basic Package Management. Hello, folks. I'm Chess Griffin, and I'm the host of this little podcast called Linux Reality. This is a show primarily aimed at new Linux users and at Windows and Macintosh users that have never used Linux at all but are you know, interested in checking it out. Last week, we looked at the way the Linux file system hierarchy is set up. This week, we are going to take a very general, high-level look at the way software is made available in Linux and the way software can be installed in your Linux distribution. This can be a really complicated topic, and I don't really want to you know, make it more complicated at this point. So we're just going to take it easy, and I'm going to explain it really in a, in a very general uh, sense. So hopefully this will be helpful to folks who are you know, new to, new to Linux and don't really understand the way Linux software is, is provided. First, though, I want to digress just for a minute off topic. I posted about this in the forums, but I really just wanted to mention it here on the podcast in case uh, anybody's not checking out the forums. I'm a huge fan of the Joss Whedon TV show called Firefly. It was a show that was out in 2002. It only ran for like 11 episodes. Fox scheduled it at weird times, and then they canceled it. But the fan base of this show has just taken off in a crazy way. What you ought to do is go to Amazon.com and search in the DVD section for the for the DVD set on Firefly and just look at the at the customer reviews. This is a fantastic show. It's my it's it's the it's my favorite TV show of all time. I'm not a huge TV person, but I've watched enough to kind of you know know what's out there. And this show is the is the best thing I've ever seen. But then there was a movie based on Firefly that came out last year called Serenity, which is also great. But there's a group of folks who are organizing charity screenings of Serenity on June 23rd, 2006. And I'd like to play a little promo here, and there's also a website called CanStopTheSerenity.com for more information. I'm fortunate to live in a city where one of these charity screenings is going to be held, so I'm definitely going to be there. And if you live anywhere near any of these cities, I encourage you to check it out. So here's that promo. Y'all got on the sport for different reasons, but you all come to the same place. So now I'm asking more of you than I have before. 2005 was an auspicious year for brown coats everywhere, but in 2006, it's up to us if we want to continue to reap the benefits of serenity. Brown coats across the globe are organizing same-day, worldwide screenings to be held on June 23rd, all to benefit Joss's favorite charity on Joss's birthday, an event dubbed Serenity Now, Equality Now. I can stand here a little more. The watchword here is benefit. Existing fans get the benefit of seeing Serenity on the big screen again, and new fans get the benefit of doing so for the first time. But more importantly, we provide the benefit of a worldwide fundraiser for Equality Now. And Joss Wheaton, of course, gets the benefit of a birthday thank you from brown coats around the globe. It's madness. Madness. It's love, in point of fact. Something a good deal more dangerous. Will you be organizing a charity screening to benefit Equality Now? As of May 1st, brown coats in more than two dozen cities in the United States, Canada, England, Scotland, and Australia are. So get organizing, because making this happen is entirely in your hands. Visit CanStopTheSerenity.com for information to help you organize a screening where you live 
and for the current list of participating cities. So I hear a word out of any of you that ain't helping me out or taking your leave, I will shoot you down. Get to work. All right, well, again, the link to that website will be in the show notes, and I encourage you to check it out. Okay, let's check out the feedback. Message for you, son. You know, based on the feedback I received this past week, especially the email feedback, it sounds like people really, really enjoyed and appreciate that la- la- that uh, last episode on the Linux file system hierarchy. Uh, w- but I do have one little correction. One listener, Jason, sent me an email and corrected me on something. I had said that SBIN stood for secure bin or, or uh, secure binary, but he pointed out that he thought it stood for system binary, and I think he's right. I think I've seen that before, so... Thank you, Jason, for pointing that out. Uh, here's a couple other emails that I'd like to read. Uh, first is from Matt, and he sent me an email, and he said, Hello, your show is great. I've listened to everyone, and they keep getting better. The last one, file system, was too short, in my opinion, but I understand that it takes a lot to go on for a long period of time. Anyway, keep up the great work. Matt from Florida. Well, thank you, Matt. That is great. And, yeah, I know, I could have rambled on for longer, but I had to cut it off at some point. Uh, next email here, this is kind of interesting. This is from Colin, and check this out. He says, I enjoy listening to your podcast, and they have really helped me learn a great deal. I was glad you did a podcast explaining all about the Linux file system, as it has always been a mystery to me. I normally listen to podcasts in the car, and after listening to number 11 of Linux Reality, I knew I would have to listen again, but in front of my Ubuntu laptop so I could follow along. So that got me thinking. If I was listening and following, I might as well capture it as a screencast and upload uh, and upload it for all. So that's what I did, and I hope you don't mind. And he sent me a link to his blog where he has two little videos that he's uploaded to YouTube, and it plays part of the podcast where I talk about the file system, and as it's playing, he kind of goes through it uh, in Ubuntu, and it's great. Uh, Colin, thank you for doing that. That is really awesome, and I think people are really going to benefit from that. A couple other people have sent me emails asking if I would do this as a video cast or something, and Maybe someday, but man, I'm just too busy, and this is hard enough as it is, so I've got to stick with what I got. But thank you, Colin, and I will put a link to his blog in the show notes. All right, then I got an email from Jared, and he said, Hey, Chess, I just wanted to say that I love your show and really appreciate the effort you are putting into it. I've been using Linux for a couple of years, so I'm not really your target audience. However, I've actually learned quite a lot by listening to your show, so I'm extremely grateful for that. Anyway, I can't wait for the next episode. Keep up the good work. Regards, Jared. Thank you, Jared. That's really, really cool of you to send that. And the last one I've got here is from Ted, and he said, Hey, just listen to your Linux file system hierarchy podcast. Really great. I'm fairly new to Linux, tried Mandrake, Ubuntu, etc., and always ended up back with Windows due to difficulties. Your explanation of the file system has made a lot of sense, and I've managed to grasp a lot of stuff now. Thanks. And that's from Ted from the U.K. Thank you, Ted. That is really cool of you to send that along. And I really appreciate all the feedback that folks are sending and, and all the great posts in the forum. And uh, please send me email to linuxreality at gmail.com or send me audio comments and do check out the forums and the Frapper map as well. Uh, thanks, everybody. You guys are really awesome. It's getting comments from you guys that really makes me want to keep doing this. So I appreciate it. So let's turn to the main topic, and that is package management. Okay, this topic about Linux package management, this is a tricky one. Uh, you know, I've been wrestling with how to how to talk about it, and it's hard. 
this is a complicated topic, but I'm, I'm again, I'm just going to talk about it in a very general sense to give people a general understanding. Because I, I, when I do this, I try to think back to when I first started using Linux, and I just didn't get stuff. You know, I just didn't, at first, I didn't understand what RPMs were and DEBs and how to get software. And I just, you know, I was used to the Windows and the Mac way of doing things, and it's a little bit different in Linux. So I'll do my best here. Let me, you know, explain. I think most people know how you get software in Windows. Let's say, for example, you've got a fresh install of Windows XP and you want an FTP program, you know, the FTP files or something. So you might search around for a freeware or shareware FTP program and, and you'll go to like download.com or someplace like that, some shareware site and download it. And, you know, you'll, you'll have a, you'll have a .exe, you know, executable file sitting there on your desktop and you double click it, go through some dialog boxes, next, 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 and then it installs. Well, Installing software in Linux can be that easy. It's not always that easy, but it but it definitely can be if you if you kind of have some basic understandings and and stick within a certain framework. So let me just kind of give you a, a quick background here uh, on, on Linux packages in general, and then I'll explain how it works in most distributions. Linux software that's written by by people is generally provided in source code form, and it's presented or it's provided in a in an archive file called a tarball, and it's a .tar.tgz or something like that, and it's basically, it's kind of like a zip file in Windows, except they use a different archive program called tar, which stands for tape archive. And, you know, generally, you know, especially in the, you know, you know, before things started getting a lot more user-friendly, what you would do is you would download this tarball, uh, expand it or, or unpack it, as they say, uh, uncompress it, if you will, and then you'd go into the directory that's that that's left over, and you'd configure it, and then compile the the software, and then it would install. And you'd have to kind of issue some commands in the terminal and all of that. Well, things have come a long way since then, but you can now, you know, you can do things much more like in Windows. But basically, um, the types of software you're going to want to install depends on the type of distribution you have. And there's three main categories, the way I look at it at least. There's distributions that are RPM based, and their their files are they have the .RPM extension, and RPM stands for uh, it actually stands well it used to stand for Red Hat Package Manager. Red Hat sort of created that that package standard. Now it stands for RPM Package Management or Package Manager, and that's one of those recursive acronyms, but RPM-based distributions are those like Mandriva and uh, SUSE and uh, PC Linux OS, the one we've been looking at, and, and lots of others. Those are, well, Fedora slash Red Hat. Those are all RPM-based distributions. The second type of package that's available is a DEB file. It's a file with a .deb extension. And those are for Debian-based distributions, like Debian, of course, Ubuntu, uh, and all the other Ubuntu's like Kubuntu and all of that, Canonix, uh, a lot of the live CDs are based on Ubuntu like Nopix, uh, and, and there's lots of others. And, and so that's sort of the second type of, of package, or the second, the second way, uh, software can be packaged up. And the last group is sort of, I guess you could say other, or maybe source-based distributions or something like that. And those would be distributions like Gentoo or Slackware or Arch Linux. And they have 
kind of their own way of doing packages, and we won't get into that. But we'll just focus on the the, the main two, RPM and, and Debian-based distributions. Let me explain real quick again what a package is when I talk about RPM and Debian packages. I touched on this in the past, but a, a an RPM file or an RPM package or Debian package is a is a piece of software that a developer has has created from the source code. So someone would take the source code of a particular piece of software and kind of put, you know, a script with it to to do the compiling and the and the installing and to put things in the right locations. You know, when the when the software is installed, certain things need to be in one place and other things need to be in another place. And so this script will will be within the package, you know, the RPM or the Debian package to do all of that for you. And they kind of wrap it all up in a single file. And when you issue the command, either at the command line to install it, or if you use a software piece of software like Synaptic to do it for you, it basically you know unpacks this little program, runs the script, and it installs everything for you. So that's when you talk about an, you know a a package, it's usually in the context of one of these RPM or Debian packages versus a source code tarball, which is just the source code, and then you have to do all the you know heavy lifting at that point. So that's kind of the difference between package and a tarball. The package is the is the um, is the tarball with the script and and kind of put together correctly, such that it's easier to install. I don't know if that made sense or not, but hopefully that did. So the first thing you got to think about is when you've got a distribution going, is that is that the type of software you are going to install is going to be either an RPM file or Debian file, a deb file, depending on whether or not you use PC Linux OS or Ubuntu or SUSE or what have you. Now, unlike in Windows, like in my example, I said if you were looking for an FTP program, you'd kind of search around various shareware sites and all of that. That's the way you would do things in, in Windows, because Windows in and of itself, Microsoft that is, doesn't provide a whole lot of software, so you've got to turn to third parties. In Linux, third parties do write these other pieces of software, but typically your distribution will then take them and package them up for you, for your distribution. And they'll either be provided on CDs that you download with your distribution when you download the whole thing, or they will be provided on a server somewhere called a repository or a, you know, a software server, a place where all of these different packages are located. And then you would then use either the CDs that came with your distribution or you'd go to your distribution's website or server and download the packages that way. So if you're using PC Linux OS, you kind of want to stay within the PC Linux OS world. If you're using SUSE, you kind of want to stay within the SUSE world and go to the SUSE websites or the SUSE disks to get these additional pieces of software. Now, the way you install software also depends on your distribution. Most distributions, at least the ones I've mentioned, have some kind of graphical program that you can open up and run, and you know you'll set it to to go fetch information from whatever server repository your distribution uses. It will go download the the, the updated list of packages, and then you'd use this piece of software to install the packages to install the software. 
if when we went through our PC Linux OS walkthrough, I kind of went into this when we did the Frozen Bubble installation. We opened up the little program called Synaptic, and other distributions use that program as well. SUSE uses a program called Yast. It's actually Yast is its big, um, um, you know, uh, packet. Uh, Yast is a program in SUSE that has all kinds of administrative tools in it. One of which is to install software. But you know, one user sent me an email and said the way to think of this, all to think of this system is like your package manager is like a software catalog. You know, once you set it up to download stuff off the internet or whatever, or off the CDs, you would use this this program to browse the catalog, to select the programs you want to install, kind of like in your little shopping cart, and then check out, and it will download and install them. The other issue here is 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 resolving dependencies. In Linux, well, let me back up. In Windows, when you download an FTP program or what or whatever. The way I understand it, I don't package programs and all that, so my understanding is pretty basic here. But in Windows, everything you need to run whatever piece of software you download off the Internet is contained within that .exe file. Any libraries, any additional software, it's all there. In other words, you don't need to install one program to get a second one to run, basically speaking. Well, in Linux, the way Linux is set up, because you have libraries created a kind of all, by all different groups and all different people, software has dependencies. Meaning, if you want to install package A, package A might require that packages B and C be installed. Package C might require package D be installed. So, to get A, you'd have to get B, C, and D also in order for A to install and run correctly. Now it used to be that this was a very difficult thing to do. You have to do it manually. You know, you would because you do everything by by source code. You download the source code to A, compile it, and it would tell you, oh, you need to go get B and C. So you'd go do that, and then as you're compiling C, it would say, wait a minute, I need D, and it would you just keep going down the line until you're till you till something said they didn't need anything else, and then you could go back and do A. Well, that's kind of complicated, and it can be tricky. So most of these these little utilities like Synaptic or Yast or what have you do what's called um, uh, so, uh, they'll they'll check they'll resolve dependencies, meaning it will calculate all of this whatever package A needs, and then what package C needs it'll figure that out and it will go ahead and put them in your shopping cart if you will. So if you're using Synaptic and PC Linux OS or you're using Yast or or whatever, and you select package A. Well, that Yast or Synaptic will automatically figure out, oh, if we're going to install A, then we also need B, C, and D. And we'll go ahead and add those to the list. And when you click Install or Next or whatever, it will download all four of those automatically. You don't need to worry about it. So, in a sense, it can be as easy in Windows if you if you stick within those guidelines. You know, if you decide to go out on the web and just find some... some um, software website, you know, SourceForge project or something, and, and you download a random program, then, you know, you introduce some of these other variables of, of having to do stuff on your own. Again, basically speaking, I am being very general here, uh, but I'm just trying to give you an overall picture. So, I guess the moral of the story is, nowadays, with, with, with Linux software, there, I mean, there's so many packages available. You know, Debian, they say Debian has 
I don't know, 15,000 packages, different pieces of software available on its repository, you know, in its repositories. And SUSE probably has something close to that because, you know, SUSE comes on five CDs and there's just thousands and thousands of programs. Most distributions are going to provide most packages for you. In Ubuntu, I haven't used Ubuntu all that much, but, you know, you would use also Synaptic and enable the Ubuntu repositories like Universe and Multiverse or whatever they call it, and then you will be then more doors will open up to you with with more software behind them, and you would then use the Synaptic program to select what you want and download and install. As long as you stick within that or stick within Yast using either the CDs that come with SUSE or porting to the SUSE servers, the mirrors, then you'll be fine, and you really won't have software dependency problems and installing software really is click 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 it's that easy especially with programs like SUSE and, and especially with distributions like SUSE and Ubuntu and PC Linux OS and Fedora they make it very easy now the other issue here with with installing software and this doesn't really get into the installing software part but licensing and I won't get into all of the legal legalese stuff but when I talked about free software way back in the beginning you know, I mentioned that there are some programs, some things out there that are not free in the freedom sense, meaning they're patented or they're restricted or, or copyrighted or something like that. Some distributions like PC Linux OS carry this, bring this stuff, you know, provide it for you. I think SUSE might as well. Some distributions like Ubuntu typically don't. They may have a restricted repository, a separate repository where you can download some of this non-free software. So you'll want to investigate in your distribution whether or not you need to enable more repositories or, you know, go to different locations to get some of the non-free proprietary software. And then you, then you can use those, those packages to install that additional software. You know, additional examples are codecs, like for MP3 support, because that's patented. Uh, all the different codecs to view vid videos, different types of videos, or play DVDs, you know, there's a lot of legal issues there, and, and I don't really want to get into all that stuff, so you'll just need to do some investigating within your distribution's websites and support forums and those places and find out what needs to be done to get those uh, restricted pieces of software if that's what you want to do. All right, and one last thing here, I guess. What, you know, some pieces of software are kind of separate, like OpenOffice, or Firefox even. And when I mean separate, I don't mean they don't come with your distributions because Firefox, I think, comes with most distributions and OpenOffice comes with most of them. But what I mean is they have sort of their own installers. They're not RPM or Debian packages. There are Debian packages of OpenOffice. But what I mean is if you go to the OpenOffice website and download the OpenOffice uh, uh, package or packages, those, you know, you can typically install on any distribution. In other words, some software is, is almost made cross-distribution, if you will. They, they package it up in such a way that it can be installed on any distribution. The Firefox, you know, Firefox is a good example. I think you can go to the Firefox website and just download the Fire, Firefox and install it on any distribution. But I wouldn't do that. In other words, I would, again, stick with your distribution and stick with the CDs and the software repositories that are provided by your distribution to install Firefox or to install OpenOffice because those programs will most likely be provided. But my point was simply that some 
pieces of software can be made to install off the web, if you will, just like they would in Windows. Now, there may be times when you need to compile software from source, especially if it's kind of an esoteric piece of software or something that's not provided by your distribution. That's something that maybe we can talk about down the road uh, because that does involve usually, you know, opening up the terminal and, and getting sort of your hands dirty down in the command line. And I know some people don't really want to do that, but, you know, sometimes it's necessary if you're going to kind of go outside of your distribution to install some some other piece of software that's not provided. And that's something that, that can be done. It's really not that difficult. Uh, I, I was scared of compiling software for a long time, but nowadays it's pretty routine and, and it's it's really not that bad. But we'll save that for another day. Okay, so I know this has been high level and very basic, but hopefully it's helped people fill in some gaps and just kind of get you know, come to grips with some of the terminology that's been, that's used. And over the course of time, we'll probably talk about this more when we talk about installing packages and things like that. And I think once you start doing it, it really becomes pretty easy. But really just stick with what your distribution provides for the most part and, you know, use those installation CDs or use the software like, like Yast or Synaptic. Think of it as a, as a shopping cart. You know, you go shopping for software, select what you want, and let the program do the installing for you, and I think you should be you know, good to go. So with that, I think it's time to wrap up the show. Okay, well, thanks again for listening, everyone. I hope the audio quality this time is okay. I'm recording it in a different location than what I normally do, so hopefully it sounds all right. Uh, please feel free to drop me an email or send, you know, send me an audio comment to linuxreality at gmail.com. I know I've said it a million times, and I'll say it a million times more, so you just have to forgive me, but I really appreciate it. And I'm, I, I thank you for contacting me. And I read every single email that's sent to me, and I can't always respond, but I read everything, and I really value the feedback. It's very important to me. Uh, one other little point here. It's the beginning of the month, so I would appreciate it if you went over to podcastalley.com and search for this podcast and give us a little vote there. I just want to give Linux a little bit more exposure. It's not about the podcast in and of itself. I'm not getting anything from it, you know, money or anything, so... It's just my way to reach more people and tell people about Linux and tell people about this awesome operating system. So I would appreciate it. I'm not going to harp on it every single month. I'm just going to mention it once, and I'll just let it go. So I would appreciate it if you went over to Podcast Alley and voted for the podcast. Next week, we're going to talk about users, groups, and file permissions. I think that's something that, that's a good good topic at this point. So please stay tuned for that and stay subscribed. I think that about does it for this week. This has been episode 12 of Linux Reality. Thanks so much again, everybody. I'll see you all next time. And to use a Firefly term, stay shiny.